Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HR Works Podcast, brought to you by HR Daily Advisor. I'm your guest host, Josh Zygmunt, Content Director for Simplify Media. The HR Works Podcast provides clear, relevant, and actionable information on topics that matter to you, the HR professional. When you're armed with the best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional service to your organization, HR just works. In today's episode, we're joined by Jeff Klubeck, world-class coach, consultant, author, and founder and CEO of Get a Clue, a professional development company based on the principles of service, power of education, and tools of communication. In addition to his extensive experience as a leadership coach, Jeff brings nearly a decade of experience in strategic staffing as both an agency and HR recruiter, and is a recently retired professor of over 20 years in communication. He successfully merges all of these experiences and skills together to lead organizations around the globe in developing the soft skills that make strong leaders. Jeff, welcome to the HR Works Podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me, Josh. It's great to have you on. So Jeff, we've got you here today as part of HR Leadership Week through Mm -hmm. HR Daily Advisor, and we're definitely going to dig into all the evolutions that we've seen in leadership, especially over the last two years. But before we get started, just want to get you introduced to our audience a bit. So can you take me through your career path and really what led you to pursuing a career in leadership, education, and coaching? Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, I wake up every day and I figure out how I'm going to deserve my wife and kids, right? I'm like, I'm a really lucky dude, right? And so the first thing that comes to me is like, well, go help people. So anyway, that's what, isn't that what leadership is, is helping people get what they want? Um, but backtracking from there, people tell me I've always been goal-oriented, head first, head strong, a go-getter, like if you know behavioral styles, a high D on a disc assessment. Sure. But I'm also a high I, very much a people person, very approachable, very uh, empathic. And so I used to tie up my parents' phone line, you know, in junior high when friends were calling me, telling me about their parents that are burning them out or, you know, the the girl that they like, they don't know how to ask to the dance. And, you know, I just thought this was normal conversation. But one time my mom came over and she slid a post-it note under my nose while I was on the phone. First of all, she was waiting for me to let the phone line free. Like, come on, Jeffrey, before call waiting and all of that. But she slides this post-it note, just listening to my side of the conversation. And it was, the doctor is, and then there was a box for in and a box for out, and she had checked in. And I looked over at her, and she looked at me while I was still on the phone. And we just had this eye contact, and she basically was communicating to me that I was counseling or consulting or providing like something therapeutic. She didn't even hear what the other person was saying. Do you know what I mean? She yeah. just heard my talk, and she kind of let me. I just didn't know until she told me. And so anyway, so I kind of have that persona. Like For some reason, I've been approachable, et cetera. You know, then it was kind of frustrating, you know, as a young adult, you know, I was one of the first among my friends to get married. I was one of the first among my friends to buy real estate. And so friends would, hey, Jeff, what do you think about this? Or Jeff, what do you think about that? I would take time away from my own day, tell them what I thought, and then they would go do something else and then blame it on me. I said, screw that. You're paying me if you ever want my help again. Anyway. (laughs) You got a knack for listening, though, too. That's really where it boils down. Yeah. As much as I talk, listening is not just, you know, this is funny, too, because from a communication perspective, people think that. We listen with our ears. We don't. We hear with our ears, but we listen with you know the, the attention mechanisms of our mind, right? Right. We pay. We have to attend and evaluate, and so listening is actually effort. Listening is vulnerability. Listening is love, right? So not everybody can do it. People think they can listen because they can hear, and they're two different things. But back to like what gets me into leadership, I got a master's degree in communication. And uh, I remember I, there was a professor in school I admired. I couldn't wait to take his class. And when I got into his class, he had a graduate student teaching it. So I became, that became one of my goals to become a graduate student and teach one of my idols classes. So I, I, I did. 
stayed for a master's, got the master's in communication, ended up being a graduate teaching assistant for my good friend, you know, a mentor to me, Dr. Mike Rio, rest in peace. And, you know, I became a leader among the graduate teaching assistants. I, I found that I got good at teaching. Right. Okay. I didn't like great. I didn't like grading papers, Josh. I didn't like, you know, I'm not the analytical detailed. I liked professing. I liked presenting. I liked helping people get stuff. I like, and I was teaching public speaking. So now it's not just pedagogy content, exercise, assignment, test competency. It's like get past the fear, right? So I took it personally. I'm a people guy. I want everybody to like me. And I didn't understand why after eight weeks of the semester, all of my students were dropping out. I thought it was me. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm, I want to be the best professor. So I started, I developed this like stand-up comedy style, like keep it casual style. I wouldn't let them call me professor. I wouldn't let them call me Mr. Klubeck. I'm like, my name's Jeff. Call me Jeff. You'll lose points if you call me anything other than Jeff. I, I realized these kids were, first of all, they're not motivated because some of them are only in school just to keep living at mom and dad's. And if as soon as they're out of school, they're out of the house. Second of all, they don't know what they want to do yet. Third, public speaking is one of the top rated fears. So like I thought my job as the professor was more different than a math teacher or an English teacher, or a history teacher, if you will, no less important, but different. And I found myself becoming a fear fighter, getting people past the fear of public speaking. And I, I found myself teaching them, hey, finish what you started. You signed up for the class, not me. Right. So I found myself rah-rah and motivating rather than just teaching. And so when I got into personal professional growth and learned some structures around coaching, when I learned some structures around influence, you know, I already knew persuasion from an academic perspective, but from a personal professional growth, from a coaching perspective, it's different. And so I got better as a professor because of what I learned in terms of how to coach. Right. You're teaching, you're coaching through motivation. You, you got it. Yeah. And I was a better coach because I was a professor because I brought some academe and some pedagogy and in the public speaking acumen and the ability to work and keep a room engaged. Right. They're terrified of public speaking, but they would come to, you know, if you go to ratemyprofessor.com and check out Klubeck, people would say, oh, I, I, I never know what we're going to get. I, I normally fall asleep in class. I stay awake the whole time. I never know what Jeff's going to do next. And so I had, I was like entertaining them and laughing their way to the learning and using, you know, an accessible, open, vulnerable, let's laugh together approach to get them through the desert. That's great. Right. You create an experience that people love and actually enjoy. You're going to bring the guard down. They're not thinking about that fear of public speaking, which is so prominent with all workers and anyone in their walks of life, especially as you want to advance in leadership. Public speaking is that necessary evil that you've got to confront if you're struggling with it. Yeah, I don't even like to validate you know, the E word. Public speaking is necessary. It's not the, the E word. Right. It's necessary. It's good. Public speaking, you know, like, you know what is what's funny about the public speaking? You asked me about leadership, but the last thing about public speaking real quick is that people are lying. They're not afraid of public speaking. What they're afraid of is preparing to speak in public. And they're afraid of it because they don't know how. And if they do know how, it's a lot of work, right? Public speaking is no different than anything else in life. If we prepare well, we're going to have all the confidence we need to do as well as we need to do and maybe better than that. So what then led you from teaching? And again, as I mentioned, you're a recently retired professor of over 20 years. What then brought you to Get a Clue? And share with our listeners, what is Get a Clue in a simple form? Yeah, you know, Get a Clue, well, it started off as like an editorial on the sports page in high school. I love it. So in high school, I became the sports editor of the paper. I was embarrassed to tell you that you know, I didn't know what an editorial was. I remember going into fourth period journalism class and I saw you know, some of my classmates sitting on top of their desks, you know, brainstorming a page for the paper. But I was all sports, sports, sports. 
say, hey, guys, what are you working on? They're like, editorials. I'm like, editorial. And I, was, I remember the feeling I had of like, what's an editorial? <laughs> I didn't know. Here I was in, a junior in high school. I didn't know what the word editorial meant. I asked, what, what do you mean editor- editorial? How is that different from, say, the sports page? You know, I, anyway, right. they're like, it's opinions. I'm like, what? Opinions? You get to tell people what you think instead of just report. The- tell me more about this editorial thing. And I, so I went to the advisor, Miss Nordling, or God bless her. I said, hey, can, can we do an editorial on the sports page? So that's how Get a Clue started. Really? That's Actually, cool. it was the, the name of the article. And, it, and I was intent on creating controversy. I knew that. I wanted to, like, I wanted to tell somebody to get a clue about right. something that had room to improve or wasn't quite right or made us wonder. Like we, our high school football team, uh, we had to play at other like Pierce college, or we had to play our home games at rival high school because we didn't have lights. So I wrote an article like, come on voters, get a clue. You know, I love it. That's how get a clue started. It was just taking some chances and being silly and cheeky, doing something with right. my last name, but professionally, it, you know, I, I, I opened my my practice. You know, I, I formed a C corp called Get a Clue, and I visioned that I would do consulting, coaching, training, what have you, through this C corp, and that the C corporation could maybe own other entities beneath it. And I just created this structure. And, and what's cool about it is I was coaching like service providers, like uh, realtors, mortgage brokers, insurance professionals, wow, okay. small and micro business owners. Right. So Get a Clue was this cheeky, cute kind of accessible approach. I'm doing the same thing. I'm, I'm being silly a little bit to make it easier to look within and do the hard work of personal and professional growth. Right. That same approach you took from the classroom same approach. or even probably from, from sitting on the phone in your bedroom as a kid. And, and you know, part of it is honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. Like if I can go back and go out and do it all over again now, I, I might not call it get a clue. I, I might want to more early on in the game, separate my individual identity from the entity which is what I'm doing now with the integrity game. Everything's shifting. Everything that I offered as Get a Clue is going to be repackaged and offered as the integrity game. You know, so, so we'll talk about that at some point. But um, you know, Get a Clue, it was dormant for many, many, many years from high school until I formed it as a C-Corp. And now Get a Clue is the umbrella under which I offer coaching, consulting, training, speaking. The books that I've written are published by Get a Clue. So it serves this n- nice purpose. Get a Clue owns pieces of other companies. Um, that I've consulted with or coached with for inequity play, um, you know, but get a clue. It's like, you know, like, have you ever driven a stick shift car? Yeah. Right. You know, you slowly press down on the gas as you, right, you, you as you're letting the off the clutch. Right. And that's what's happening right now with get a clue in the integrity game. Got it. You're making that transition, you're right? Making that transition to package everything integrity game. So I have a better exit strategy and I have a more attractive um, brand for if I want to train coaches, train speakers, have independently contracted people. They don't want to say, hey, I'm John Doe, a get a clue coach. Get a clue, what's that? That's not going to work for them. But if they say I'm John Doe, a certified integrity game leader, aha. Right. So that's a more attractive brand for people. You got it. Sure. No, that's great. And thank you for sharing that, Jeff. So bring you on here as part of Leadership Week. Really want to dig into how we're seeing leadership evolve, especially for our audience of HR professionals here on the HR Works podcast. So let's jump in and start there if you're good with it Yeah. and start talking about just what's changed over the last two years plus, right? Post-pandemic workforce, we've seen such a big shift in this modern workforce where teams used to be predominantly in-person, in-office. Now it's across the board, remote, hybrid, in-person. There's so many different diverse workforces and ways to run a workforce now in organizations. 
How's leadership changed as a result of that? Well, I might be out of the box here, right? Go for it. Um, I'm not ready to agree with you that it has. Okay. I don't think leadership has changed or what, what counts as good leadership has changed. What's required of good leaders has changed. It's just the stadium has changed. Interesting. Okay. The context where leadership is to occur has changed. But I'm not ready to say leadership has changed. So the, the approach is the same way. Yeah. Well, just to be simple about it, um, how has you know, the great resignation or the proliferation of Zoom in a, you know, pre-vaccine, post-vaccine COVID era changed? Is is it all of a sudden leadership is anything other than getting people to do what they weren't doing before or get people to stop doing what they were doing before or getting people to adjust their behaviors in a way to get the life, career or business that they want? Is leadership different than that? That's a great point. So you're saying, no, it's not. It hasn't, right. So it's the delivery method. Yeah. It's probably the better way to look at that. Yeah. How, how do we need to deliver? What are the ingredients? Like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to set you up here, Josh. Can you imagine I'm sitting down with my wife? She's an amazing cook. She loves to bake. It's at a family dinner, like one of the holidays, right? And she's just wowed them with this dish and that dish and it's dessert time, right? And I don't know how long it takes to make a cheesecake, okay? But she brings, this, she brings out this gorgeous cheesecake with like a blueberry drizzle. I mean, it looks talking my language. Are are you, are you salivating yet? And the time that it takes, how many ingredients go in? I don't know. Right. But it looks beautiful. It has all the trappings and all the, right. And then I watched as my family took a bite and all of their faces went and their eyes are going left to right. Because as soon as that cheesecake hit their mouth, they all knew she forgot the sugar. If you leave out one ingredient, everything else can look pretty cool, right? But if you leave out any of the key ingredients, it's just not a cheesecake anymore. It's not digestible anymore. So what I'd like to tell you is my approach to leadership is make sure you are including three primary ingredients. Number one, engagement. Engagement. It's a buzzword in corporate, right? right? And everybody says engagement. You know, have you read the studies, of course? You know, I remember reading one a decade ago, maybe, that 70% of all people that were employed reported being disengaged or not engaged in their jobs, which meant that as soon as they felt the economy rebounded, 50% of those 70% were going to be off to a new job. Right. Okay. Great resignation. Huh. Do you think anybody's going to resign from what they're engaged in? Yeah. And that's everything we see in the market is that is the biggest driver of so many people leaving. It is that engagement, feeling disengaged in the current role. You got it. So it's not enough to say we need engagement. We need more engagement. We have to, are you ready? We have to go kluba diving a little deeper. (laughs) Let's go. We have to go kluba diving a little deeper and say, what counts as engagement? First of all, how do we know if somebody's engaged or not? Second of all, how do we get them from not engaged to engaged? Because I bet it's not do what the shareholders want. Cut corners at every step, right? Run something up the flagpole today, will you? So it gets buried. That's not going to do it, right? So, you know, Peter Drucker used to like own the market on management consulting, right? You know, there's a big name. But so let's talk about the difference between management and leadership. Management is representing the institution, okay? But leadership believes it will do a better job for the institution if it concurrently represents the direct reports and the followers. So it's a line straddle. 
right? Management is to the numbers. Leadership is to someone's potential. For example, a good leader, like I don't think I'm a good leader unless I take the time to figure out what you, who you really are, first of all. Who are you, right? Where'd you grow up? How'd you grow up? Do you have siblings? Where were you in the birth order? What did mom and dad do? Take me chronological, all the stuff that I'd want to learn about somebody before taking them on as a coaching client, right? Can I help this person or not, right? Right? Um, But in the process of getting to know you really well, you might actually get to know yourself a little better. Sure. If you have to tell me about yourself and right and hear all of these answers that come out, that's pretty cool. Oh, wow. Right. And being heard, being listened to, being understood. If I could feed back to you, oh, it sounds like this. And oh, tell me more about that. And oh, I can relate to that because this happened. You're going to you're nodding your head right now as I see it. Right. It feels good to be heard, understood, identified, seen, recognized. Right. Rather than just deployed as a resource in the institutional machine, which so many employees feel like. Now, the other thing is, you know, if I can get do anywhere near a good job in finding out who you really are, like behavioral assessments, appreciative inquiry, reference checks, you know, however, I, I got to do that, not just know my people, but I got to find a way to let my people know that I know them, because it's not enough for me to believe I know them and say, hey, I know my people when my people are going, like, you don't know me, dude. Right. So we got to agree that I know them and they have to feel that I know them. So they believe that I'm taking that knowledge of them into consideration when I make decisions. Interesting. Yeah. Now, the other piece, if I could integrate knowledge of my people, know my people with knowing what they want. Who are you? What do you want? Right. And that's that's a simple transaction. But most most people in leadership positions, they're managing an org chart, a position description, a head count. Uh, a quarterly goal, an annual objective, uh, a, a, a you know, hot breath on the neck of whatever blankety blank is rolling downhill. Right? And like, so there's a lot of CYA, a lot of, you know what I mean? Past yep. the buck, oh, yeah. a lot of, so, so management is dealing with all of that institutional pressure to meet these institutional goals. And when those institutional goals are in conflict with the individual's goals, you're going to get disengagement and drama and politics and everything else. So the real good leader is going to understand the institutional goals, understand their own goals, and then understand the direct reports, what they want, and say, hey, look, do you see this intersection right here? This is where what you want comes together with what the organization wants. And if we can all get there, that's when succession planning raises promotions, accolades, awards, opportunities comes about. So let me make sure I really work hard to let you know that I know who you are and what you want. And let me tell you what the organization and the shareholders and the stockholders and the stakeholders want. And let's look for the coming together point. Like if you, you will get what you want if you're committed to helping the community, the institution serves, gets what it wants, and vice versa. So th- those are the two key ingredients of engagement is assessing and understanding who we're dealing with and then getting clarity on what they want. So you can do a smart goal setting piece or on and on. So that's a key ingredient. And so probably, you know, <laughs> great resignation, Zoom, working at my home office in my underwear with the gardener showing up and the dogs barking and Amazon dropping off packages, right? Right. Well, been yeah. there. well, how do you keep me engaged when all that's going on? I can tell you right now, I'm so engaged in what I'm talking about with you that I could have the dogs barking, the gardener mowing the lawn. I could have Amazon packages dropped off and my family traipsing in front of my home office, which is right near the front door. And I'm not going to lose focus on you. I'm engaged in what I'm doing. So, you know, a, a leader, like, you know, again, leadership is the light side, dark side, right? You know, to use the force, right? Are you Jedi or SF, right? So, you know, a person in a leadership position doesn't make them a good leader. It's not the position. It's not manipulation. It's not coercion. It's not power. It's not the ability to get somebody in trouble that makes a good leader. 
It's the humility to step away from management for just a second to, and to be okay with like, wait a second, this person, they're underqualified for this job and they don't even want the next step in the plan. Let's right size them. Let me go back to HR and say, hey, guess what? This person's brilliant, but for this and this or this. But most people won't do that. They'll try to keep a square peg in a round hole because they got a headcount issue and a requisition to open up and a recruiter to pay. And a, anyway, I, I can go on and on and on. One, it's more work to then put that person into a new position and then backfill. It, it's more work for the person it, like directly impacted, but you're not looking at that. Yeah. So that, ex- yeah, that expedient factor. Leadership Leaders have vision. Leaders can see, oh my God, if I keep this square peg in a round hole, I'm going to have a bigger problem later than if I just deal with it right now and right size this person in our organization. And identifying that opportunity for that person. Taking the time to know them well enough and what sure. they want. Yeah. That leads me to a really important question. And one I was actually lining up for down, down the line, but I think this is perfect now. What are the factors that leaders should identify in their employees that would make good future leaders? What are those pieces that maybe even be underlying to say, okay, here's somebody with some opportunity? I mean, off the top of my head, some very easy answers. I don't feel like I'm saying anything new or special here. Initiative, right? Proactive behaviors, proactive questions, right? I'll I'll say it this way because this is the the two other ingredients of leadership. One is engagement, but the two other ingredients that I think it's fair to offer right here that I would be looking for, either do they have it or can they learn it, right? Is motivation and accountability. Motivation and accountability. Is this someone who could get out of their own way if they need to? Is this somebody that can learn new strategies, tactics, and embrace new resources if they need to? That's motivation, internal and external. Strategies, tactics, resources, and then mindset. Are they coachable? Do they automatically say, uh-uh, but, or what if, or what about when you bring something to their attention? You know, the leader needs to be constructive in their offering of, you know, constructive criticism. It's very important for us as leaders to make sure that we're not sounding like judgment. Right. But to the person that's uncoachable, everything sounds like judgment. Yeah, your walls are going to go up immediately. You got it. Yeah. And then the other piece is accountability. And when it, it, accountability is one of these words like integrity, which is why I wrote my book, right? Accountability is one of these words that mostly is used, used like maybe, I don't know, have percentages on this, like 80% or more when accountability is used. It's when we're accusing others of not having it or needing more. Oh, where's the accountability? They need accountability. We demand accountability, right? Okay, but people aren't saying, I need to be more accountable. I need to be willing to be counted. Here is what I declare I am willing to be counted on. I'm willing to be observed, measured. I'm willing to be documented. I'm willing to be constructively criticized. I'm willing, right. In other words, bottom line is I take 100% responsibility for my life. Yeah. So people that are responsible. Now, careful. there's some people that take too much responsibility and then they're buried by all the things they've committed to. So you want somebody that's willing to take responsibility, but can have an appropriate amount of responsibility for their jurisdiction. And, you know, I always say Michael Phelps never won a gold medal swimming in somebody else's lane. A lot of people are busy bodies and they're trying to play the politics game to get up the corporate ladder and they're moving over to this department and over to this desk. Well, I was just helping over here and I'm helping over here because they want to be visible when if they just did what they're supposed to do, you know, they would be visible. Right. There are cases where you need to stay your lane and take what is on your plate and be the best at that piece. Mm-hmm. And it's and, and, and it's weird. There's resist. Stay in your lane. It's like, what are you trying to limit me? Are you trying to? No. Right. <laughs> but that's how it could be. That that's how that phrase can be received. Yeah. Stay in your lane. Are you trying to keep me down? Are you trying to limit me? Are you trying to put me in a box? No. You know. And so we've got to find better ways to explain these things. 
for me, I'm going to tell you communication skills, right? You have to be a really, really, really effective, empowering communicator to communicate in a way that gets people engaged, to communicate in a way that gets people motivated or increases their motivation and communicate hardcore yeah. accountability, but delivered on a plate of I love you. So if people are counted and held accountable, but feel loved, they'll accept it. They'll, they'll rise to it. They'll seek it, especially if they're engaged. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So tying it back to that idea or just looking at what's changed over the last two years, let's look at it instead of how leadership has changed, how has communication changed from leaders to their employees? Well, I, I could tell you that the obvious is um, we miss a lot of nonverbal cues when things are mediated over Zoom. You and I are communicating famously, but there's a couple of times where it gets a little blurry or right. you're, you're wondering you know, how close to real time is the real time interaction. We're, we're pretty good. But even the thing about it is before we had alphabets and languages, we completely protected ourselves based on nonverbal communication. You know, we are hardwired, right? So we need to, if there's a tiger there and it shows its teeth, we know that right. means something to us. You, you follow? So we have fight or flight response built in. So we're hardwired to pay attention to nonverbal. And even a, like with that intense programming, even a millisecond delay is still on some level noticeable. Sure. It's still, you know, it's like uh, the opposite of, you ever heard the story about the kid, um, the, the, the million starfish that wash up on the shore and the kid is throwing starfish back into the ocean. The old man comes by. Hey, what are you doing? There's a million of these starfish. What are you doing? You can't possibly make a difference. Kid says, made a difference to that one. Yeah. Yep. Right? So every little thing makes a difference in any little delay or hiccup. You follow yeah. like right? uh, any little distraction, anything that hesitates. The same in public speaking. In public speaking, a rule of thumb is to answer every question in the minds of your audience that you know they're going to have and don't say anything that creates new questions that they wouldn't have had without you saying it. Well, that goes back to the preparation piece you spoke to. Yeah. Well, the thing, what I'm getting at is when it comes to engagement and attention and leadership, right? You know, it's hard to lead without permission. It's hard to lead without engagement. A, a good leader should, should set up the game where they're standing at the hurdle, right? But somebody runs and jumps and then I'll help you get over, Right. I'll pave the, the lane, I'll set up the hurdle, and I'll stand next to it. But I'm not going to go to the starting line and push you, drag you, pull you, pick you up, and throw you over. Yeah. I'm looking for people that know how to run and jump and have faith that leadership will get them the rest of the way. Right. There's buy-in on both sides then, too. Yep. Yep. And again, both, both people have 100% self-responsibility. It doesn't mean everything's our fault, but we are able to respond to anything and everything. It's, if it's to be, it's up to me. That responsible attitude, that responsible disposition. I think so often in corporate, and I think it's too easy to do this, people are doing bare minimums, passing bucks, playing shell games, pointing fingers, rocking politics, you know. And I think more people are working to avoid blame than they are to earn praise. Yeah, well, think how, how difficult that is to admit when you're wrong. That's probably a big challenge for so many people in leadership or just in general and show that vulnerability. Yeah, well, there's no greater precursor to finding out what's right than admitting we're wrong. Right, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, I, say, I have little sayings that I say, there's no such thing as mistakes, just learning wrapped in a little discomfort. Okay, I like Don't that. let the packaging fool you. When I, when I fell in love with mistakes, when I started to get comfortable making mistakes, and when I started to look forward to making mistakes, that changed everything in my career. You know, like a mistake is, it's just the wrong word for it. I'll tell you something else. 
whoever came up with the term trial and error, I'd like to have a beer with that person and talk this through. Because why don't we call it trial and success or trial and progress or trial and do you know what I'm saying? Right. It's such a pessimistic viewpoint yeah. to say we're going to try it and it's going to fail. Yeah. Trial and error. Uh, we're taught baseball. We're taught to errors are bad. Errors right. are costly. Got I would call it trial and growth, trial and progress, trial and success. I would try, I'd call it something else. Language is important. Right. You're learning from your mistakes. Yes. Why call it a mistake then? Why don't you just call it a growing pain, which is always better than the pain of regret. So let's keep taking action and keep being open to learning. And now a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of the HR Works podcast is brought to you by Axiom Medical. Mental health is a hot topic and business priority for HR professionals. Yet the traditional solutions of EAPs simply aren't working. So what can be done? And that's why I'm happy to introduce Tempo Live from Axiom Medical. Tempo Live is a unique app-based approach that catches any changes in an employee's mental well-being before the breaking point, connecting them with licensed professionals faster in a safe and secure way. The result? Reduced absences with increased employee resilience and satisfaction. The time to take care of one another is now. Learn more about Tempo Live at axiomllc.com. Again, that's axiomllc.com. And now, back to our episode. So that really leads me to my next question with leadership. Maybe what we've even seen changing, evolving, I should Mm -hmm. even say, from pre-2020 to where we are now in 2022 is embracing vulnerability as leaders and being okay with being transparent and at times real with your teams. Do you think that's something that developed? Has that always been prevalent with leadership? It seems like we've embraced vulnerability and being honest people. We've got a background, right? You, you can see into my home just like I could see into yours. So there's a bit of humanity and just being real people to your teams that didn't exist previously when you were in the corner office and you were tucked away. Yeah, empathizing with the corporate perspective on all of that first. I would say, hey, right on if you want to be transparent and vulnerable with each other. Just don't break any laws. Right. You know what I mean? So there's that piece. We, you know, we can't be so loosey-goosey with each other that we forget all of the HR compliance stuff and the liability reduction and you, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You have to avoid all of that, right? So how close are we? Can we cuss? Oh, do you know what I'm saying? Like, where, Right, there's a level so, of professionalism that, that still needs to be held. There has to be, and this has always existed, I think. People have always said, hey, your secret's safe with me, or hey, you could be yourself with me, or when it's just us, be yourself, I don't care. So these conversations probably have always existed, right? But they're, they're in our face now, is what is the comfort level that colleagues, you know, supervision, supervisor, it's different. So now we go back to culture. What's the culture of the organization, right? You know, is anywhere at the top, you know, because here's what, it, you know, we all dislike is the company that says, well, transparency is one of our top five values. And then you say, hey, uh, why, how come I don't have access to this file? Well, because <laughs> right, yep. we all see situations where what they're promoting at the top isn't being carried out. So if organizations at the top are willing to let its people hold itself accountable to these values that are professed, not because they sound good, right? Same thing with DEI, right? We talked about that, right? Everybody wants diverse, 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 right? Some of it is because people know how beneficial that is, right? Diversity, steel sharpened steel, all kinds of good stuff, right? The more ideas we have, the better options we have at finding the best one. I, I can keep on and on and on, you know, validation, recognition, engagement, community. Some organizations are really all about DEI just to keep from getting sued. 
it's really just it's a, as much of a compliance measure as much as it, they're trying. It's a compliance thing, trying to reduce a liability thing. But the people that are promoting DEI because of the culture for the organization, you can smell the difference, right? Right? Because they both want DEI and they're both pressing these initiatives really heavily. But how is it communicated? With what kind of warmth? With what kind of nonverbal? What's the tone of voice? What's the pitch? What's the rate? How is the memo drafted? So these are the soft skills that make stronger leaders, stronger teams, stronger organizations. Is Everybody will tell you communication is key, communication is key, but who's working to get better at it? Who's checking themselves? Who's taking classes to improve their communication skills from listening to audience analysis to persuasive writing to on and on and on? That's great. So we talked about diversity. Different people respond to different forms of communication and different forms of leadership. How can leaders best communicate to various groups within their organization? We're all going to respond differently. So how do you tie those together and really speak to multiple groups with one message? First thing that comes to mind is ask for help. My God, ask for help. One of the worst mistakes I could possibly make is like take it all on myself and think like, God, I, just because I'm the leader now, I'm supposed to figure out how to communicate best to 13 different demographics. I'd rather create a survey and ask all of those demographics to teach me how to communicate to them. Right. I like that. You know, teach me how best to communicate to you. Teach me about some cultural things that we take for granted over here that could be offensive to you. You know, if I want to use this particular word, will you give me six synonyms that create different choices for me that land better and motivate you better? Teach me how best to communicate to you. Teach me how to speak into your listening. Let me tell you a story real quick, an analogy. UCLA in the you know 60s and 70s, dominant, dominant, dominant. They won like 10 championships in a row. You follow, they, re- they had all the best players from all around the country wanting to go play. So 12 people on UCLA's roster, all 12 of them were the number one player at their school. Okay, so now that's the context. And uh, Bill Walton, famous UCLA Bruin and famous Grateful Deadhead. And, you know, he does all kinds of good things. And he's San Diego guy, right? Bill Walton tells this story about how one of the freshmen came in and was bummed that he had to do a thousand layups in a row when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was Lou Alcindor at the, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton, some of the, the starting five, they were doing this thing over here. And then the freshmen, they were doing a thousand left-handed layups off the backboard, a thousand right-hand. And, and one freshman goes up like, this, remember, this person was number one, coddled, pampered, and now number 12 on the team. Hey, Coach Wooden, I have a bone to pick with you. It's not fair. You have a double standard. How come we're doing this over here and those guys are over there doing this over there? It's a double standard, as Bill Walton tells the story. And John Wooden says to him, young man, you don't understand. It's not a double standard. It's actually 12 standards. I have one standard for every member of this team, and I'm going to coach you to your ability, and I'm going to coach the eleven other 11 players to their ability. And when you stop comparing yourself to the other players and start focusing on being the best version of yourself, you're going to receive my coaching much better, young man. It's not a double standard. I got 12 standards. Yeah, that's knowing your people. Knowing your people. That's what I'm getting at. So why don't I ask them to teach me? Why do I have to be the leader all the time? And you know, I'm supposed to know everything. It's silly. It's a lie to yourself, and it's a lie to the organization. And it's a lot of your direct reports to carry yourself as if you already know everything. So there's all kinds of other advice I can give you on this. But if a leader's not willing to ask for help, not ready to ask for help, doesn't know how to ask for help, doesn't know how to receive that help and implement that help, I would start there. Ask for help. Well, and that goes back to receiving feedback and being okay with being critical of yourself, right? And, and understanding where, hey, I got this wrong. Yeah, I don't call it being critical of myself. Are you ready, Josh? Yeah, let's go. I, 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 this is a new thing I'm coming up with because I got to market the integrity game stuff. 
Tell me if you like this, especially if you see it as a hashtag. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do I got you on the edge of your seat? Ready? Yep, I'm ready. Retrofit yourself. I like it. Okay. Very positive. Here's where I'm going. Let's let's dig in. Right? Uh, We say that a building has structural integrity if what? It's got a good foundation. So it what? It stands upon itself. When what? When put under pressure. Especially when what? When the outside forces come. You got it, right? So it keeps standing. It keeps doing what it was built to do. It keeps doing what it was intended to do. It keeps doing what it was made to do. It keeps reaching its potential of keeping a roof over people's heads and allowing business or residential functionality within its walls, right? Despite the wind, despite the rain, despite a car crashing into it, if a fire goes off inside, sprinklers come on structural integrity, right? Right. It's still standing. Yeah. Every now and then we need to retrofit the building, retrofit the bridge, because time and wear and tear, right? And sometimes the things that we set up to create structural integrity, right? Have you ever tied your shoes? One, go to tie your shoes and your shoelace breaks. And now you've got one that's long and one that's really short. You got to redo them, right? And sometimes you need a whole new set of laces. Shoes good, but I need new laces to provide the structural integrity so the shoe can stay on my foot. Hey, what happens to, I'm showing you a baseball right now for the listeners on audio only. This thing is beautiful. This is a home run ball for my son. But what happens if these stitches start to come apart? Right. The casing starts to unravel. Now I can still keep the baseball. I can still put it in a glass and preserve it as a keepsake, but I can't use it for what it was intended for. Can't play baseball with the ball whose seams are unraveling. Right. You just can't do it. So why are we as human beings any different? Why don't we retrofit ourselves? Why don't we give ourselves structural integrity so that whenever the outside forces come along, we can withstand. And instead of criticizing myself, why don't I make a plan in my professional growth plan to retrofit myself from time to time, to give myself more structural integrity so when the outside forces of my direct reports, busy lives and traumas, why they can't show up to work today, or the outside forces of the manure that's coming downhill from the shareholders, those won't prevent me from being the best leader I can be and getting my direct reports to reach their potential within their roles. I need to withstand the outside forces. I need structural integrity as a leader, right? But integrity, like accountability, is a word that people only use when they're accusing other people of not having it. So what I want to do is I want to invite everybody to look within. I want to guide people on an internal journey to increase one's own integrity, right? All of my answers are pointing in the direction of integrity. And I want to integrate engagement, motivation, accountability. I want leaders to up-level their own integrity. When I do this in public speaking, I'll say, how many of you have integrity? Everybody raises their hand. But when I ask, well, how many of you set goals? And how many of you, how many things do we do in a day? And 100, how many of those are integrated with your goals? Well, zero, because I don't set goals. How many of you have determined your purpose? Uh, well, then what are you doing today? And what is it integrating with? Right? How many of you declared your potential? How many of you selected strategy? How many of you have given your word or set expectations? And are, those, are all those things integrated, coming together? So I have a 10-point model of integrity. I'm making it practical and systematic to literally improve your own sense of integrity, which would have a ripple effect on everything else that you want to do. Let's dig in. Yeah. Leading with integrity, that's something when, when you understand how to have integrity yourself, then you can hold your team accountable to that as well. Am I, am I following correctly there, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't argue with anything that you said. So what I'm going to tell you is this, and this is the, I don't know how to avoid it. And I'm not accusing you of anything in particular, personally, Josh, are you ready? Most people think they understand integrity because they can pronounce it. Okay. Now, let me take you through this real quick. Watch. Visualize me in a room doing public speaking and I'll start off. Hey, let's start off with a great question. How many of you believe you have integrity? 100% of the room raises their hand right away. Because what they hear is how many of you consider yourself to be a good person? 
Right. No one wants to say they don't have integrity. You can't. It's almost impossible. It, it's not. It, it, like, how do you keep your hand down right then? Right. Right. So it's a trick question, though, because I'm doing public speaking, right? But I'll say, whoa, 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 whoa. Keep your hands up. All of your hands, keep them up and repeat after me. I, I do, do, solemnly swear, swear not to shoot the messenger. Because by the end of my keynote, I'm going to ask you again, and I'm going to wait to see if you raise your hands as quickly or if all of you raise your hands. But hang on, hang on. I want good ratings for my keynote. <laughs> so I say, hang on, hang on. I don't want to insult anybody this early on in the presentation. Let's make sure we're all talking about the same thing. What is integrity? And now I got like 10 minutes of interaction with my audience so that they can tell me what integrity is. I always get two answers. I never don't get these two answers. Right. I sometimes get a bunch of different ways of saying these same two answers. But let's see. Let me ask you. Let's test this. What's integrity, Josh? What is it? Doing what you say you're going to do. Okay, stop. We're going to pin that on the board right here. We're going to use that. Be your word. Do what you say you're going to do, yeah. right? Okay, good. The other one I get, just to be, speed this along, is do the right thing regardless of who's watching. Nice. Yep, that makes sense. Right? Do the same thing when nobody's watching you that you would when somebody is watching you. Like you're nodding your head, I get the head nods. So, like, so nobody else can come up with anything other. Every now and then somebody says, well, it's completeness. It's wholeness. I'm like, ooh, you're a couple steps ahead of the game. Be patient. We'll get to you. It's reading, right? <laughs> you know, the cerebral guy, right? Or girl, right? Anyway, my point is, so this is what I get to do. So here's what's cool about this. When we be our word, there is a coming together of word and behavior. And then when we do the right thing, regardless of who's watching, there's a coming together of behavior with values or morals. So there's a moral or a value. And so what I like about those two answers is that in both cases, there's a coming together. Are you ready? An integration. Nice, okay. Yep. Okay, and now here's what's embarrassing is that if I asked a million people, what's the definition of integrity or what is integrity? Not one person will use the word integration in their answer, right? Despite the fact that they start with the same six letters, you know, I-N-T-E-G-R. So people don't see coming together of one thing. People don't think integration. They just think, am I a good person? Do I like myself? They just think, am I honest? And by the way, most people that say they're honest, if I held them accountable, we'd find out how dishonest they are with themselves and others. Right. Right. And that's not a judgment. That's just a mirror to help people see what they need to grow past or towards the 100% self-responsibility, which includes a level of honesty on and on. And I teach this stuff, but I'm a human being, so I'm imperfect with it all myself. I want more integrity. That's why I teach this, right? So I'm my best customer, by the way. But my point here, back to the, the analogy, right, is the first thing I want to do is integration, coming together of one thing with another. So if you say I have an integrity, now I get to say, all right, well, what are you bringing together? What are you integrating? What things have you brought together? Word with behavior? Okay. Uh, behavior with values. So now here's where the problems are. Here's what I don't like about these. Things. You see what I like about it is, and oh, the other thing I like real quick is that behavior is kind of in both equations, right? You know, I'll slow down and say this. Behavior is the evidence of our integrity, not our word, not the values we profess. So well, number one, integration, and number two, behavior is the evidence, okay? So that's why I like those. Right, it's the actual tangible action. You got it, right? You know, watch, watch what people do, not what they say. But here's what I don't like about it. What if I said I was going to drink 18 beers before our podcast interview today, and then I drank 18 beers before our podcast interview today? Would I be able to claim integrity? And you know, like, oh, that's funny. Well, maybe. And now you're thinking, well, it depends. Right, you did well, is you your said. goal and your potential to test your liver and still remain perfect? If that's your goal, then I guess so. But if my goal has anything to do with being a value for your audience or being, uh, you know, being a beautiful relationship in your world, then absolutely not. 
If I said I wanted to spend 16 of every 24 hours on the couch and then I did it, would I be able to claim integrity? And we know that the answer is no. Right. So what I get to say is there's other things that I want to integrate in order to be able to claim greater integrity. It's not just work. And the other thing too, who decides what's right and wrong? Who decides? How do we know what the right thing is? Because I'll tell you something else. I believe in competing success principles. I believe in making sure people understand that when you're looking at time as money, you're going to behave fast. But when you're looking at patience as a virtue, you're going to behave slow. But how do we know what's right? We can all agree that if you never quit, you never lose. But we can all agree that you better know when to cut your losses. <laughs> so what I'm saying is how do we know what's right or wrong? In this situation, this is the right thing. But in another context with other people, with other stakes, this might be the right. How are we to know? And who decides what's right or wrong? What I'm getting at, those two answers that most people offer when we ask what is integrity, do not come close to getting us in a position to increase our own or help others increase theirs. So that's when I came up with the 10-point model. I'm like, there are other things. So there's 10 things that we want to integrate, bring closer together. Having values and morals and purpose is one of them. But there's nine other things that I, I introduced the model in the book that I came out with earlier in the year. And we're going to do a 90-day challenge, a group like a group coaching immersion and take people through the 10 question sets and encourage people to come up with answers to the 10 sets of questions. And then bonus if those answers empower each other. Bonus if those answers integrate. If one of your answers is oil and the other is water, well, you're going to have less integrity than if one's water and one's, one answer is water and one answer is a sponge. Those are going to go together. Those are going to be all right. You know? So the, the game, the integrity game is as easy to understand as it is difficult to play. And so does that integrity piece, is that the key to then leading such diverse teams, whether they're in different places or just coming from different backgrounds? Yeah, you can ask me a thousand questions about leadership. And if I only had one answer to all thousand of them, it would be integrity. That's a great way to look at it. And that, that's, that's, how, you know, that's how I'm living my life. And I, I'm telling you right now, I want more integrity in my own life. So teaching this stuff is literally projecting. So I'm going to be playing the integrity game and I'm inviting people to play with me. I'm trying to make it fun and easy to look within. I love it. All right. Well, we're here with Jeff Klubeck, world-class coach, consultant, author, as we're talking about his new book, The Integrity Game, Yeah. Uh, which thank you so much for just cracking that one open for us, Jeff, and just sharing some awesome insight for being leaders and leaning on integrity to really get you through those challenging times or just to really impact the most amount of people possible in your team. Again, whether it's a diverse workforce of race, age, gender, you name it, integrity can be that integral piece. I mean, that's, again, back to integral. There, there it is. Yeah, Josh, I'll just say, if we're getting close to winding down, right, you know, you're, you're wise to ask these critical questions on the contemporary issues that face us, diversity, equity, inclusion, generational issues, which are always you know, an issue, right? But the, right, the, the great resignation, the Zoom, the post-COVID, it's important to ask about those. I would just encourage you to keep an eye on what has always been true and what will always be true. I don't care what's going on externally. If I can get you engaged, if I can get you motivated, and if I can get you accountable, you will have the results that you're looking for in your life, career, business. Yeah. Whether you're working from home, you're working in an office, there are just some undeniable truths. You still need to get engagement. You still need to give them motivation. You still need to make sure they're accountable. No matter where. I don't care if they're working under a rock on Mars. I don't care what advances. There's some things that are never going to change. 
So Jeff, speaking to our audience of HR leaders, yeah. what can HR leaders do to help elevate that next group of leadership in their organization, right? You identified those great future leaders, and we talked about that earlier, key factors. So what are some of those saber metrics you're looking for to find them? What can an HR leader do to elevate them and really move them into that leadership role that they should be in? You know, conventional things come to mind, succession planning, right? Succession planning. So Again, it comes down to integration. Do I know what the organization needs? Uh, do I, can I look three or four steps up the org chart and understand what the path is? And do I understand that and why the organization needs it? And then can I lay that out to the person? Say, look, is this the direction that you want to go? Okay, so let's make sure what, what is it going to take to get this promotion? What is it going to take to be, you know? And so, you know, another answer that comes to mind is replicate yourself. Or let me put it this way, um, Hansel and Gretel. Yep. They didn't just walk into the forest. <laughs> They peeled pieces of bread to document or mark their path for two reasons. So they can get out if they needed to or somebody can get in if they needed to. So a good leader is going to peel pieces of bread for their high potential direct reports. Replicate yourself. Don't hoard the information. You have to be okay with a direct report leapfrogging you. But most people aren't because of ego and this and that. So a leader that's really committed to the organization will find somebody that's more talented, groom them, and if their potential is... The humility if they graduate or leapfrog or move on and get, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's as much as leading and having integrity and really being a motivator for teams. Sometimes it's that motivation is to push someone else along too and identify that opportunity and say, hey, this is the right person to go do this task or take on this project. Sure, I can run ahead and try to do it all myself. And that goes back to staying in your lane and, and trying to be in too many places at once. Sometimes it's, hey, give this other person the opportunity to be better and make the group better overall. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and leaders need somebody safe that they could talk to. You know, and so a lot of times leaders, their direct supervision is managing. And so they can't say, well, how do I balance this? How do I manage this? How do I find the courage or the support from above to go in this direction? And so sometimes it's, it takes an outside coach or an outside speaker, yeah. outside consultant, an outside sounding board where they could save face, be honest and not have political consequences of laying it out there. Right. And then go back in with a good game plan, et cetera. Right. But, you know, you got to pay attention. You know, you got to manage your own career. Am I in an organization that supports mine and my direct reports growth? You know, what are the values? Are they just promoted? Or are they really supported with policy and, and so forth? Right. It's like, you know how many people have, say they have an open door policy, but the door is closed 38 of the 40 hours that they've, you know. Oh, yeah. It, it's a great thing to say. Just like saying you have integrity. It's great to say you've got an open door policy, but do you actually, are you really open to mentoring your peers and, and again, giving them that leg up, giving some motivation and, and sharing what you have access to? Yeah. I, I don't know if I put as much of a highlight on it when you said it earlier, but it deserves it is the vulnerability. You're like, here's the thing. Are you ready? When I quote myself, I call them kluby snacks, right? Little bite-sized nuggets. Are you ready? Great. Vulnerable is not the same thing as threatened. Just because you can get hurt doesn't mean you're guaranteed to. Absolutely. Right? And so a leader really needs to understand the true power in vulnerability. The willingness to be vulnerable is the willingness to suffer loss, hurt, setback, but to quote, and I'll, I'll drop a book here, uh, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck. He defines love as the willingness to be vulnerable for either my own or my beloved's spiritual growth, right? So we could go personal, professional, or spiritual growth. So I, I can claim to love only if I'm willing to be vulnerable. 
if, if I'm not willing to be vulnerable, now I can only claim possess, control, hurt, use, right? Yeah. But if I'm willing to be vulnerable, now I can claim love. Like, and if my, my people, the people I'm leading, my coaching clients feel this, my coaching clients, they, they know for a fact, I absolutely love everybody I work with. And, and I don't know if everybody's ready for the L word in corporate, right? So the V word vulnerability is a nice step in that direction. But I mean, you got to look at it too, as leaders, no one was dropped into their role, their position and knew everything all at once. Nope. You had to be vulnerable. You had to learn oftentimes from other people. So it, and My favorite vulnerability is the individual contributor that kicked so much butt, they got promoted to supervisor, and now they've got to hold their friends accountable. And <laughs> yeah, Hey, that person needs right. some soft skills. Yeah, yeah. Like now, like, wait, I thought I was going to get that job, and now I report to you. I know we used to go bowling and drink beers last week, but I don't like you anymore. <laughs> How many supervisors around the world are dealing with that? It's happened all over the place, right? I think everybody's experienced it, seen it, been a part of it. Right. So I love working with those people in those positions that need the soft skills because their technical skills, their hard skills made them a great individual contributor and got them the promotion. But it's the soft skills that's going to keep them in that job and take them even further. Right. And get people to buy in and believe and understand their integrity. You got it. Look, Jeff, this was awesome digging into just leadership skills and ways to drive leadership forward, especially in such changing times when we're learning and adapting so much in the workforce. So thank you so much for sharing that. Before we wrap here, Jeff, tell us a bit more about the book, about the Integrity Game. Where can our listeners check it out? Where can they learn more? Awesome. Well, the Integrity Game book is available on Amazon. It was released in April of 22. So it made number one best-selling new release in its in one of its two categories we listed. Wow, so, congratulations. Yeah, it was cool. That, that number one banner, it's like I wanted it to be in the top 100 to be a quote bestseller, but it got all the way to number one in new releases. And that was a surprise. Um, A pleasant surprise. And it's just fun to get the little banner and put it in your marketing and all of that. But if you go to Amazon, type the integrity game, you'll find it. Jeff Klubeck and the subtext motivation plus accountability equals results. Um, If you just type in Jeff Klubeck, you'll find me. Uh, Getaclue.net, G-E-T-A-K-L-U.net is the old website. And then the integritygame.com is the new website that we're developing and building out. In September, we're going to run Integrity Game 90-Day Challenge. So we're inviting okay. people, all people. It's it's the minor investment, but it's really me leading learners through the 10 question sets and encouraging them to come up with answers. It's 12 Zooms, two complimentary coaching sessions with one of our coaches, a signed copy of the book from me, and a private Facebook group and 12 Zooms that you can be on live or just watch the replays of. So it's asynchronous, learn at your own pace, but it's a program, an immersion designed to increase participants' integrity. And then, of course, they might be able to leave that experience with a better chance at helping others improve their integrity as well. We want the ripple effect. That is so cool. And again, yeah, I'd encourage all of our listeners to go check that out. Check out any of Jeff's many great offerings that you've got. There's so many opportunities here to engage with Jeff and really help motivate your team and and learn just the best leadership skills to make you a better leader and really develop those soft skills to make strong leaders. Uh, So Jeff, before we wrap here, we've learned so much over the last two years. What have you learned over the last two years that has made you a better leader? Oh, what have I learned over the last two years? You know, I mean, I've known this all along, but it's in our face. Time doesn't wait for us. Tom's not waiting around for us to figure our stuff out. You know, the clock's ticking. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny when people say, I wish I had better time management. I need more. I wish there was more time in the day. You know, I don't have time for that. Oh, I wish I had time for that. Or I don't have time for this. Or I wish there was more time in the day. People say this. It's like, and people say, I need better time management. I need some time management skills. It's like, are you kidding me? Father time has been managing time since the beginning of time. 
<laughs> like, like, what are you doing? Like that, that job is handled, covered. What we need to manage is ourselves, right? The clock's ticking. And what I need to do is I want to make sure that like, here's the thing in a, in, in the pandemic and you're sitting around or whatever people were doing that wasn't productive, whether it's binge watching Netflix or you're putting on their COVID-19 because they're sitting on the couch and ordering Uber Eats to the house or whatever it is, getting too comfortable in sweats every day and forgetting what it's like to just get dressed, show up and be ready to work every, you know, whatever it is, right? The feeling of loss or missing out or what am I doing or time's wasting, or, that could be way more in our face than it ever was before, right? Like, in other words, people got really comfortable, too comfortable, in my opinion, saying, all right, have you heard this? I'm a procrastinator. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm such a procrastinator. Oh, I procrastinate. Oh, I'm the worst procrastinator. Why would you admit something like that? Well, I just think this last two years has finally put this procrastination term where it belongs in the gutter. Like, why waste a good pandemic? We still need to get up every day and figure out what's our purpose, what are our gifts, what's our potential, what are our goals, right. what strategies are we committed to, what action are we taking, what are we learning, what are we accomplishing, and who are we serving? Pandemic or no pandemic, I want answers to those questions. If I don't have answers to those questions, pandemic or no pandemic, I'm out of integrity if I don't have answers to those questions. So to me, it's like, you know, and plus for me, you're asking a guy who's 50 years old who lost his parents uh, three weeks apart in uh, September of 2020. Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry to say it, right? But the good news is they were together 54 years and only spent three weeks of their adult life apart. So there's a romance and a, a beautiful thing that I went through some crap. I was the only adult in the room taking care of it. But I, I built the integrity game. I developed this model while I was losing my parents. So my, my the idea is in the, the parable, it's a made up story to introduce the model. So there's characters in there that are kind of like infused with my kids' characteristics. So if, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow my kids could pick up the integrity game and know where I put them into the book. Um, as my parents died, I created a legacy piece, you know, something that can outlive me, something that can move beyond me, right? Like what if something happened and nobody really thinks that they're going to die or they're going to get COVID or they're going to get hit by a bus or Kobe Bryant is going to go down in a plane crash. I mean, like how many Laker fans wish they would have watched more Kobe Bryant games before? Right. You know what I'm saying? So don't live a life of regret. You never know when the life's going to be taken away from you. You never know when the shutdown is coming. You never know when you're going to be in the hospital. You, ne you never, never know. So what do you want to have been all said and done? And when are you going to start doing it and saying it, right? Like when would now be a good time to get going on your own life, your own potential, your own goal? Why are you here and what are you doing to reach that? So every second, here's the trick question to wrap it up, right? I ask people, do you have integrity? It's a trick question, Josh. The truth is we all have some and we all need more. And every second of my day that goes by that I'm doing something that doesn't integrate with my potential is a second of my life that I've wasted. And I told my son the other day, I said, hey, man, you know, life, <laughs> life is going to take opportunity away from us on, on its own. Weeds grow on their own. They don't need any help from us. You know, life, illness, pandemic, politics, regulation, structure, control freaks, criminals, random probabilities. There's plenty of things out there that will take opportunities away from us. We don't want to take opportunities away from ourselves. I love that. That's, that's great. Jeff Klubeck, thank you so much for being on the HR Works podcast. This was an awesome conversation. Really enjoyed the time with you. We could keep going here for hours on end, but this was a really great way to get you introduced to our audience. Yeah, thank we'll you. definitely have to have you back. We'll keep talking leadership. Again, I'd encourage any of our listeners to check out all of Jeff's great work here and really get engaged and learn how to build that integrity game up. Yeah, I argue that everything else you want in life, career, or business is going to be a hotter knife through warmer butter if you retrofit your own integrity. Perfect.
I love it. All right, Jeff. Well, thank you very much. And we'll have you back soon. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for listening to the HR Works Podcast. Be sure to check out our new episodes every Tuesday. Follow us on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible.